week's guest is Danielle Crawley, who joins us from Whistler, BC. A very passionate and creative bartender, Danny is originally from Aurora, Ontario, and has been in the industry for over a dozen years now. Danny has worked in multiple facets of the industry, from golf courses, cafes, nightclubs, train travel service, and everything in between. Danny has also started competing in cocktail competitions and was crowned the Giffard West Cup Canadian National Champion, and was a semi-finalist at Diageo World Class. Currently, Danny is bartending at The Raven Room, a craft cocktail bar in Whistler. Make sure you check out Danny online on Instagram at drinkingwithdanny, and Danny is spelled D-A-N-I, and at theravenroom.ca, or check the show notes for the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Kip. This is producer extraordinaire, Dan. What's going on? Uh, you know, another day at the salt mine, so can't complain. Yeah. yeah. Pays the bills, apparently. How <laughs> <laughs> things going with you? Uh, good. We finally got that fucking pub open. So, oh, nice. um, yeah. How was the opening weekend? It was uh, delightful. Yeah. Cambridge is a scene. Yes. But uh, we had a good we had a good turnout for Friday and Saturday night. Uh, everything went relatively smoothly. A couple hiccups to be expected. But yeah. aside from that... It's nice to have money coming into your bank account instead of just flowing out. So that was exciting. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. And now people can stop listening to me bitch about the fire department. I know. Well, yeah. they're all fine stuff to you. Don't worry. That will, oh, yeah. that will be a problem. By next week, I'll be just be bitching about employees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the Argyle Arms Pub. It is open in Cambridge now. We're going to be open Wednesday to Sunday every week. Come check it out. Great food by Chef Dennis Hernandez. H86.co is the name of his company. So you're going to want to come check that out. Uh, we're going to have live music every weekend, Friday and Saturday night. Stay oh, tuned to... What are your hours? Well, we're they're sort of in flux. Right now, we're going to be opening at 4 p.m. till whenever people leave. We may be open for lunches in the foreseeable future. So check it out, though. You can follow us at argyle underscore arms underscore 2023 on Instagram. I think I got that right. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thanks. Thanks. Somebody has to look after me. (laughs) (laughs) In addition, uh, Uptown Waterloo, check out Babylon Sisters. That's at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. Lots of fun, exciting events coming on there, including DJ Bane every Friday night. And then Sugar Run at Sugar Run Bar, downtown Kitchener. That's the speakeasy. Follow us on Instagram to figure out what the password is and see if you can find us. And then uh, check out the events that are happening there. We have Burlesque the last Friday of every month. Uh, You don't want to miss that. That's uh, Sassy Ray Burlesque at Top Shelf Burlesque. Super show. So check that out. Perfect. And I do have to say one big thank you to a former guest of ours. On episode 144, we had Steph Sulis. And we had our party for our retiring CEO last week, and I used her business Nom Nom Treats to make oh, a, a cookie for everyone to go out. Yeah, we oh. had our uh, our CEO as the Incredible Hulk oh. with him screaming image. So it was worked out great. Okay. It was uh, wonderful. I got to say a big thank you to them. That made everyone laugh. Well, that's great. Yes. And while we're doing it to thank us, thank yous, we should say uh, thank you to Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co for the artwork he does on Instagram. That's mm-hmm. Z-A-K. H-A-N-N-A-H dot C-O. Do you want to hit him up for all your graphic arts needs? And uh, if you like the show, subscribe, rate, review. That helps us out tremendously. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, it's uh, info at the club, or you can DM us 
at the industry podcast on Instagram. I think that's pretty much all the housekeeping. Oh, yeah, that should have driven off about 90% of the <laughs> just people hitting that fast forward yeah, button. Yeah. All right, <laughs> 30 seconds, 30 yeah. seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so enough about us. Let's talk to Danielle Crowley. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, so you're coming to us from Whistler. Yes, Whistler, yeah. BC. Oh, what's this yeah i'm jealous what's the deal with uh whistler in the summer like is are the bars still busy in the summer or is it mostly just oh, like a winter town insane. oh I mean, really it's, it's of course busier in the winter but yeah. the summer is insane it's a friggin zoo wow. and it's starting early. we've had uh we've had the weather grace us with some beautiful sunshine all of may so our our summers come early and it definitely shows with the amount of tourists here already, which is great because this is usually um, down downtime for us. We actually typically close for two weeks in May. We oh, wow. we somehow decided not to do that and it worked out in our favor because the weather's been great. We've had people visiting and we've been busy, 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 which is it's 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 awesome. It's what we want. Yeah, so you work at the Raven Room. Describe the vibe of that place. Do you guys like when you say the nice weather? You guys have a patio. Is that helpful? Or uh, yeah, we do, which yeah. is awesome. So inside the restaurant's about sixty-five seats, and then that doubles uh, once you go outside. Um, and we we do have um, an, a covered area and lots of fireplaces and heaters for the winter. People love to just apre and sit outside after the mountain too. So we do use a chunk of the patio in the winter as well. But yeah, the restaurant basically doubles in the summer with the large patio. It's gorgeous. Um, awesome. But yeah, it's um, cocktail focused, craft cocktail, seasonal um, seasonal food items. Uh, we work really closely with local farmers and um, greenhouses around Whistler, Sea to Sky, you know, Pemberton, Squamish, and uh, locally owned, which is great. Kind of the main thing that attracted me to want to work for the Raven Room is it's owned by two local couples, um, two married couples, Jay, Steph, Luke, and Brandy. And they opened the Raven Room just before COVID, um, oh. but it succeeded quite well. And we're now pretty well known. For a while, it was very much like a local crowd that we'd get, which was awesome to have all the locals supporting us. But now we're kind of well well known by a lot of people across the country, which is awesome. And our friends down South in the States too. And yeah, it's been, it's been good. We're, we're getting a lot more, a lot more um, people talking about us. And we were on the top 50 la- list last year, unfortunately oh. not the list that just came out a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I well, think that did a lot for us and we've had they don't a lot always of- get it right. So yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's uh, a great vibe. That's amazing, though, that like, because uh, one of my bars I opened right before the pandemic and the other one during the pandemic. So anyone who makes it through that bullshit is a oh, yeah. great success story to begin with. <laughs> totally. So you're from Aurora originally. Uh, is that where you started your career in the service industry? Were you working in oh, bars yeah. then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically my first job ever, it's kind of how, how I got into the industry. My first job ever as a working girl was at a golf course. Um, oh, yeah. in a, it was my summer between high school and uni, and I was a cart girl. Oh, and I quickly yeah. realized how friggin' awesome that job was, money-wise. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this real life? You know, like <laughs> a 15-year-old girl, like, walking away with $300 every night, just, like, sitting outside on the golf cart, serving beer to old men, like, dream job. <laughs> I wish I could yeah. still work on a, on a golf cart. <laughs> but, yeah, so I quickly fell in love with the money aspect of that, and, you know, everything else to come along with it. But yeah, so I, I basically got started in the industry working at golf courses. Um, and then after after I went away to university, I would kind of work in little dive bars and nightclubs and cafes throughout studying 
And then every summer I would kind of take myself away to Muskoka or out to the Rocky Mountains or somewhere in BC and do the same thing, go work at a resort golf course or whatever, and just kind of live in the staff of calm and live that life and just fully immerse myself in like the server life culture. And again, was very obsessed with, with the money aspect. I was starting to save up for my dream of traveling the world. So it was a good way for me to start saving some cash as we all mm. know. It'd be great. <laughs> did, did you travel the world? I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> quite, quite, quite a small chunk. But um, for as long as I can remember, that's all I really wanted to do. My parents were big travelers. So it's, I guess, kind of in my blood. I just had to get through those university years. Somehow, some for some reason, I decided to go to school. <laughs> what did you go to school <laughs> for, for? God knows what. <laughs> Travel and environmental studies. So, I mean, oh, yeah. I so had interest yeah. in that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I just was always just dreaming of traveling, traveling the world. And it worked out great in my favor working in bars and restaurants because I was able to put myself in this like really awesome routine of traveling and working and saving up money quickly. Like I would travel the world until I ran out of money and Mm -hmm. then some, um, and then I'd move back to Canada and kind of decide where I wanted to live. And most of the time it was out West. I mean, basically all of the time I, I basically left Ontario as soon as I graduated university. And so I choose someone. But it's funny you say that because that was kind of my experience too. That's why I ended up stuck. Well, I don't say stuck now, but like where I ended up like sort of landing in the service industry was for the exact same reason, because you could make a lot of money quickly. You could always find a job if you were good at what you did, whether you were, whether it was while you were traveling or at least you could go blow all your money traveling and then come back and easily find a job if you were good at what you did. Right. Uh, there's always something there and and wherever you go to, like that's, we're so fortunate in Canada. There's so many options for anywhere you want to live you, in this industry, you'll get a job anywhere and mm-hmm. you kind of choose. So that was basically the cycle of my life through all of my twenties. So I've lived in quite a few different places on the West coast. And because of that, I've had quite a wide range of different jobs within this industry, usually like small stints of like a year or a little less until I was able to save enough money and then take off again. And usually I would work while I was traveling just to prolong the um, time away, like kind of just bartending at a hostel to have a bed for free, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But, um, but yeah, it it was kind of just like a, a, like working in bars was just like a job for me until very recently. And and, until I kind of made it and saw it more as this is my career now. And I love it. Yeah, it's funny how like, uh, and there's no like light bulb moment where you realize that that's your career now. It just sort of happens, and then you realize, oh shit, I think I'm in my career now, right? Yeah, like, I never thought that this is what I would be doing, but yeah, this is, this is it. Did you, when you were traveling, did you find that like working in other bars in other countries influenced what you do now, and was maybe that part of like what? Because I feel like, for instance, if you go to like say Europe. Like mm-hmm. bartending is a very serious career there, right? Like, totally so it's not like in North America where people tend to take it not so seriously. It's changing. That's changing for sure. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. there was a long period of time, at least like I'm, at least when I was coming up in the industry, which was way before you, but like that I would, you always had to be embarrassed telling people that, oh yeah, I'm a bartender or I'm a server. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but yeah. in Europe, in Europe, that's like a totally legitimate career. So did you find that that influenced you at all when you came back and maybe with regards to like it becoming your career? Yeah. Almost like just seeing the work ethic there too, like in a lot of Asian countries as well as in, in as in the European countries, I feel like there's a lot of Asians that I swear they've been bartending before they could walk. 
Right. And they just take yeah. such pride and you can see the passion and the artistry. And I think just like visiting different bars rather than just working at like the little shitty hostel bars that I did work in, but visiting different bars in countries like in, in European and Asian countries, just kind of inspiring. And yeah, definitely um, made me realize that there's potential um, to become some sort of career bartender in it. Yeah. And I think it's like good to get like switch your level of thinking about it that like any career really is a worthwhile endeavor if you take it seriously and put passion into it. Right. Like even if you're just fucking uh, picking up garbage, if like if you're you're serious about it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. And, and I and I do think that in North America, we have a very yeah. hierarchy of like <laughs> thinking about how you uh, and, and, and like a little judgment level about like careers. Right. Whereas in other countries, specifically Asia, like you were mentioning, it's like every career has value. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, agree. I agree. While I was in that cycle of traveling and and uh, and then bartending when I came back home, it kind of obviously came to a halt when COVID happened. Mm. And at the time I was I, I heard about that. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard about it in a long time, but yeah. it happened. At the time I was working in Victoria at a bar and then kind of obviously lost my job. But that's when I I really started to appreciate like craft cocktail culture. Just kind of mm. started educating myself and realized I'm like, fuck, I miss this. Like I miss yeah. being behind the bar. I miss talking to my guests. I miss making drinks. I miss being creative. So I started like stocking up my home bar and would have all my friends over and just started bartending for everyone and started reading all the books. And I kind of just immersed myself in like that side of being in this industry rather than just like slinging drinks and getting paid. It's like, there's so much to learn. And mm-hmm. that's kind of when my mind kind of like my eyes were open to a whole new world of what you can do having these skills and that's when like a light bulb went off. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I guess I did have that little light bulb moment during that time period. And that's when I realized I'm like, yeah, yeah this is what I want to do. And there's yeah. so much more you can do with, with it. And it's not just working behind bars and, and yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to, I guess, for the last two years since COVID happened is just doing a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. And there's so much more to it, like comps and workshops and tastings and seminars and guest shifts. It's, it's all like, it's all fun and exciting and it's all like little niche things. You don't really know about um, like when you hear someone's bartender, like you just kind of think they're working behind a bar slinging drinks and whatnot, but there's so much more to it. Yeah. I feel like there was a a stretch where people were just like thinking, like, just like you said, that thinking about bartending in that fashion. And then right, like it was starting to, I mean, probably again in like London or New York or wherever it was more this way already, but like there was a slow bleed into people realizing Oh no, there's a ton of shit that can go into like making a career in bartending that's like like a lot of knowledge that goes into it. And then yeah. a lot of different ways that you can do the job. And then when the pandemic hit, it forced mm-hmm. so many people to think about bartending in a different way. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. this is my career, this is what I do, but how can I do it during the time when bars can't be open? And then that opened all these like a million new doors into like what you can do with this job. And we talk to people all the time on the show who are doing, you know, like, like Instagram influencers or consultants or like to go cocktails or whatever. And like we, the doors have really opened for what we can do in this industry now. Yeah, I think so too. It's like, we've kind of evolved and the opportunities kind of seem endless, endless at this point. I think it was great for our industry 
we kind of just had to think under pressure on how to make, especially for you guys in Ontario with all your crazy lockdowns. I'm sure there was a lot of people just trying to make, make money somehow and keep their bars open. And you just got to think out of the box. And I think that almost probably worked to an advantage for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So what, what made you decide to like start getting into competitions? Yeah. So I had the Raven room on my radar. I decided I wanted to move to Whistler during COVID. I knew I couldn't travel anymore. So I was like, well, I need to change the scenery somehow. So um, the mountains kind of seemed like a great idea. And so I moved to Whistler and I saw that they were hiring and it's a pretty sought after position to bartend at the Raven Room. It's a small little group of of restaurants and cocktail bars in Whistler. There's not very many. There's not many other places that I would work in this in this town. And uh, I heard about the Raven Room. I knew they were locally owned, you know, like industry focused as well. And I had just like seen photos of the back bar. I'm like, this is fucking sick. Like their back bar just looked amazing. Like I'm only going to work here. Kind of manifested it. It was, it was the only place I was going to work. And luckily enough for me, they had a, put up an ad for a part-time bartender at the time during COVID. And I think Steph, the, um, one of the owners said 40 people applied and it was all just from like one post on Facebook or something. And she had to just like sift through, I guess she ended up doing 20 interviews and my interview was the last one she said. And luckily for me, I ended up scoring the position and I've been there for about two and a half years now. And yeah. And my career really did take a turn since working, um, for, for the Raven room. And I've just had a lot of people, push me and see things in me that I didn't really know that I was capable of. And yeah, I was going to say, how, how do you think, like, not to interrupt you, but like, how do you think that you got it then if you were like the 40th and maybe not the most qualified at the time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't even know. I guess she must have saw like something within me that I would kind of fit with the team. It's a very small, close-knit team. We're, we're, quite, we're quite a small restaurant, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe the manifestation. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Manifestation. Who knows? But yeah, I felt very lucky to to score that position. It was it was it was awesome, and it was obviously tough times during that period too. I think that was when we were closing at 10 p.m. or something, and we were like industry focused bar, like one of the late night only the, one of the only late night bars open where everyone would come after work. So that we kind of lost all that. Mm-hmm. I think we we shifted to doing brunch and or something like that but we were like an industry focused bar at the time and had to close at 10 p.m but yeah they the all the owners and like fellow bartenders within the community i guess like kind of pushed me to do this first competition which was just a local competition during beer fest week and you were given a spirit from a local distillery and a beer from a local brewer and you had to create a cocktail um Mm. quite simple but um that was the first competition i ever did what'd you make I made, I had the peach sour blonde ale from Coast Mountain and I had the uh, rose hibiscus gin from uh, Tofino Distillery. And I made some sort of sour. I remember I made a syrup or something out of the pe- out of the beer and then made a foam with hibiscus flowers and some sort of, yeah, I think it was a, yeah, basically a gin sour, some, something along those lines. But I ended up just falling really hard in love with the aspect of presenting and speaking publicly and just like almost like educating my, my audience and the people who were at the competition. I just like, it almost came easy to me to talk in front of a group of people. And yeah, I mean, like, I guess we do that all the time at work, right? Like we're behind the bar and we're we're shooting the shit with our guests, but 
it came naturally to me to speak in front of an audience. And I didn't even know I had that in me. I ended up winning the competition. And I was like, sick. Like, I'm good at this. Maybe I should yeah. do another one. Like, I never thought of cocktail comps. I never even really knew that they existed. Never thought to do them. But um, I was pushed by my owners to do that. I won. And so then I did another local comp a couple months later. It was put on by Campari. It was a Negroni comp. Um, and I won that one, too. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh, there yeah. you go. Now you're <laughs> on to something. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it was basically just my community and um, at the Raven Room, my my mentors who helped me and pushed me and kind of gave me direction and into competing. And um, I found out that I was quite pretty, like pr- pretty all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you so, win the first yeah. two competitions you enter. That's uh, usually yeah. a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then from there, I. I hadn't really like done much research into like bigger global comps or anything. Like hadn't even heard of world class, but I had a couple of people send me the posting for the Jafard West cup competition. Mm-hmm. And obviously put on by Jafard, which is a French liqueurs and syrups brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do this every two years. They do the West cup comp and they've been doing it for 25 years. So it's pretty historical. So I had some, like some people send me the the flyer, the the posting on Instagram. And I was like, this actually looks pretty cool. I liked the idea. They do a theme every year. And the theme that year was called listen to the flavors. You basically had to create a cocktail inspired by music. I was like, that's cool. So I didn't really like read the fine print. I was like, oh, this is cool. A little Instagram competition. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like just kind of created, like created like an idea up in my mind and then once I actually started to like get down into the, the works of like making the cocktail and figuring out what song I was going to create or uh, pair with, I just like read the fine print. I'm like, oh, wow, like the winner goes to France. I'm like, this is a big deal. This is like a global competition. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, well, like, fuck, I'm, I'm not going to get that far, but this is cool anyways. So I ended up choosing Don McLean's American Pie classic obviously everyone knows that song unless you're living under a rock. Yeah, but- I think that they're actually still recording it. Are they really? No, it's just so fucking long, is what I mean. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally an eight-minute song. Yeah. But I had so much um like I had just like so much nostalgia listening to that song because my mom would play that song like constantly, like that eight-minute mm. song constantly over and over and over again. So it's like it might have just been like one time, movie. Danielle, and you just didn't realize. <laughs> it just never <laughs> um, so I had like a little bit of a connection to that song and I felt like I could have some talking points and yeah, like there's, there's a lot to be like researched about that song too. It's quite interesting to try to figure out like the meaning behind it. Yeah. So I, I, I thought, it's funny that you yeah. mentioned that. Cause I recently read a fucking article about where they were trying to break down what each line meant. And I'm like, oh, oh I think you're God. just guessing at this point, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's like no rhyme or reason behind what he's saying. Yeah. Um, there's a couple lines that make like are very clear what they mean, but then other times yeah. like, I don't know what the fuck this means, yeah, but uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so I go ahead. But yeah. yeah, no. So this song, so th- I, I felt like this would be a great song to to talk about and to have some sort of tie in with a cocktail. So I basically chose the little, like, I, I basically chose like my little like theme was going to be nostalgia, and mm. you know that song kind of like makes you feel nostalgic when you when you listen to it. And then I chose the liqueur that I chose to make my cocktail with, which was rhubarb. Um, every competitor in Canada was given the choice of three liqueurs. Every country was given three different liqueurs to choose from to obviously avoid some crossover. But I chose mm-hmm. rhubarb and I was like, oh, this is perfect. My grandmother used to make a strawberry rhubarb pie, you know, like nostalgia yeah. back in the good old days. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. So I just had like 
I had the story. I had a good idea of what I was going to like revolve my whole presentation around. And, and yeah, so I basically applied online first. I think that's how that works. And then the finals were in Vancouver and yeah, I won that. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, sweet. like I'm, I've never lost a cocktail comp. Yet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm pretty good at this. So yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was crowned Canadian national champion for the Shafard West Cup comp. And I was, I, I, I was ultimately then now going to France. I never thought that I actually oh. would be the one going to France. I'm like, fuck, now I actually got to stress all summer long about this shit. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah so it was basically June. And then I had the summer to kind of prep myself because we went to France in September, this past September, which was sweet. Yeah. So that was, so the competition took place in Angers, which is where the distillery was originated. Yeah, it was sweet. It's just, it was, it was just really neat to go there, like to the origin, like the, like where Jafard came to be, like, this is where the family, like the, the family business was, was born. Um, yeah, we actually interviewed um, Mal, who's like the oh, ambassador, yeah, for yeah. in Dubai, yeah, and she's had oh, some right. cool stories about uh, the like it's it's actually yeah like for a like you don't think about those liqueurs like like we like you know if you're like an old school bartender you think about like fucking McGinnis or all those shitty yeah. like yeah and like that's how bartenders sometimes end up thinking about liqueurs but then when you realize what they do at Giffard that it's like yeah. you realize no it's, they're doing it seriously like there is yeah, there is a good way to do it yeah yeah exactly it's all like fresh real fruit and ingredients and they're always stating where exactly they get the the fruits from like you know mm. the Brazil banana liqueur like it's obviously not all local products they can get but but yeah, it's and, it, and it's neat now too, I think, because a lot of bartenders are taking such a culinary approach and a lot of people would be, we don't need liqueurs, we can do that ourselves. But why? Like, don't you want to save time and like <laughs> purchase this incredible product? Like, why? Oh my why? God, I'm so glad you said that, Danielle, because like, <laughs> we've been talking about this quite a bit on the show lately. It's like, I, do you need to get like a fucking red seal in cooking to be a bartender no. now? Like, what is the deal? Like, <laughs> I know, it's wild. Like, we... Yeah, like we've just we've just th- thought that we can just do it all ourselves now. But like, let's save some time and Ugh. buy products from like legitimate companies instead. <laughs> yeah, and some, some flavors you can't really pull and do yourselves, and it's it's quite amazing the range of of liqueurs that they have. Like, and and what they're doing now too, they're coming out with a non alcoholic line of liqueurs and aperitifs and stuff like that. It's it's wild, and you see it like when you're in France, it's it, they're hard to get in Canada. There's there's only a few. I think at the LCBO, you guys just have three, like obviously creme de violette, and then I think you have grapefruit and yeah. maybe and, rhubarb. And only sometimes creme de violette, because yeah. frankly, like oh, yeah. the LCBO is the worst organization on earth. So yeah, like <laughs> they're like they're worse, yeah. they're worse than the Proud Boys. <laughs> but in france they're everywhere even in the cafes they're using all of the Giffard syrups for for coffees and whatnot so like they're they're a big game in Europe, which is cool mm. but it was really neat to go and um just experience the like the, dis- the like we got to experience everything like we we saw the distillery we got a distillery tour we the competition was hosted at the old distillery which is now the Angers Center for Arts or the art school we saw the the pharmacy in which the distillery originated from like the actual building of where the pharmacy was in Angers and 
Edith and Bruno Jaffard were two of the judges, along with Simon Diffords and Sam oh. uh, Trescott, who was the winner of 2019. So yeah, it was a really cool. like close, um, kind of like family feel and competition. It was it was great. It was very well organized and it's like almost just like so wholesome. Yeah, it was it was a it was a good experience. So how did that play out for you? Like, were you first of all describe the competition? Like, what were the rules? Like, how did yeah. you win? Yeah, and then like talk about your level of stress. Oh my god! You know, but so so we brought the the competition that we did in our home countries to France. So we were all competing with that exact same cocktail and song. Oh, okay. So that makes it a little easier. Yeah. 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 So we kind of had that one dialed, and then there were two other legs of the comp. The first one was basically a black box. You were given a spirit, a liqueur, and an herb. It was it was quite like simple. It was just like our little like easy little like intro to the comp we did that one on the first day and then you just have to create a cocktail obviously with the ingredients you were given and Mm -hmm. then the second competition uh, the second day of the competition the challenge was called clarity and you basically had to create a cocktail with their og liqueur which is their montpesti so it's like their mint liqueur and that's the spirit that made jaffard what it was so Mm -hmm. emile jaffard who was the founding father and back in 1885 he was a pharmacist and he soon was made aware of all of the many healing properties of certain herbs, more specifically mint. And so he created this like beautiful uh, mint liqueur, the Montpesti, and he would give it to like all the people passing by like his pharmacy, just like on a hot summer day, just like pouring out this mint liqueur and chugging it down. And then he realized he can really kind of shift his pharmacy into a distillery and start create, he started to create um, liqueurs and, and syrups and, and, I don't know if you know, no spirits, just liqueurs and, liqueurs and, and, uh, and, um, and syrups. And he basically shifted his pharmacy into a distillery and that's how that all came to be. And now it's how many years later, that was back in five generations of family business. So this leg of the competition, we had to create a cocktail out of the Montpesti and the theme was clarity. So you kind of had to figure out what clarity meant to you and blah, blah, blah. So I was just thinking logically and I'm like, I'm going to create a clear cocktail. Um, and I decided to kind of just like transform the distillery back into a pharmacy. And I just played that up. I wore a pharmacist coat. I had like a little badge. Um, all of the ingredients that went into my cocktail had healing properties. So I was using things like uh, green chartreuse. Um, I used an overproof rum. I used a vanilla liqueur. What else did I do? Um, and then of course a Montpesti and then some butterfly pea flower oil. So the cocktail ran clear and then I kind of had it set up like, um, old, like apothecary bottles with a little tag on it that said in French, um, drink as prescribed, bon, bon, comme prescrit, something mm. I just, yeah. So I had the whole setup looking like uh, like a pharmacy, kind of transformed the distillery back in the pharmacy. And that was, I loved that. That that challenge was fun for me. Um, we were given the rules before going to France, which was, it took a lot of the stress off. Like we, we knew what we were getting into. It wasn't any like surprise challenges. So I had time to prep for that. Um, That's good. Yeah. And, uh, which made things easier for sure. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, like you're kind of a nerd, eh? Like, that, <laughs> like no, I actually am. Yeah, in, like in, I, I mean, it in a good way, but it's like, no, I know. like, like you kind of got into doing this, like out of nowhere, and like during the pandemic, yeah. started reading books about it, and next thing you know, you know how to make those fucking cocktails. Like yeah. that's impressive. Like, but you got to kind of nerd out to do shit like that. Totally, and I get yeah. so high on like 
going all out for competitions. Like I always just match my outfit to my cocktail. You know, I go, I go like full actor mode. Like I was yeah. speaking French up on the stage. I don't even know nice. how to speak. French. I just like memorize this little like intro in, Fr- in French. And like, I get really into it because that's honestly half of the points. Who fucking cares what your cocktail tastes like? You got to be able to present yeah, it well. The present- gotta- well, because <laughs> the thing is like anybody who's made it that far knows how to make fucking drinks, right? Yeah. Like, so you're going to, you got to sell the process at that point. It's the same with like, I always talk to my people at the wine bar. It's like the, 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 the people I work with there, like, all like if you've made it into this bar the wine is good to sort of sell it to the hand to to sell it to the guests you have to hand sell it and then you need the story behind the winery that's what sells it right and so it's very similar with your with these cocktail comps it's like it ends up being more about the presentation than it actually is about the drink because also they're trying how many fucking cocktails right it's just botched afterwards yeah (laughs) the first couple rounds like and then that's kind of like a nice little touch you can you can do. You always got to go that extra mile for the judges too. You just got to schmooze the hell out of them. So I would always give them like a little um, like a little aperitif to have to cleanse their palate. Little like warm towel scented with lemon, you know, whatever. Mm. <laughs> got to get all those brownie points. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it is it is cool to see the like the the scorecard too because you are being judged on um, like cares like your charisma um obviously taste and aroma but a lot of it is like your ability to speak publicly and mm-hmm. uh, stay within the time frame and connection f- to the theme and and stuff like that so there's a lot more to it obviously taste and aroma m- makes makes for a lot of those points too but yeah it is a lot about the storytelling and the ability to present yourself well and yeah, being a good public speaker, which you clearly are. So when you know in advance what you're going to like, what your cocktails are going to be, and you know, you're going to put your presentation for it, does that make it like more relaxed when you get there? Or are you like the kind of person who like is very competitive and wants to win? Yeah, I think yeah. it almost like defaults. It like ruins me, like knowing what <laughs> like my parents came with me to France as as did my younger sister. And they were like, who the fuck is this girl? Like they couldn't even be around me because I was just like a stress case running around Paris trying to like get all the ingredients I needed. Honestly, the getting there and getting myself set up was probably the most stressful part because uh-huh. you have to bring everything. Like I had to bring all of my own glass where all of my own bar tools, all of my own tinctures and syrups and infusions, like everything. And Ooh. I'm flying from from Canada. Obviously, I'm like, fuck, like I'm gonna have hoping to it doesn't fucking Yeah, I hope it doesn't break in your fucking yeah. Right? yeah. 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 So we've seen the way the fucking like, guys throw your bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had all my little like tinctures and infusions put into little hundred mil bottles so I could bring them on the on the plane with me. Oh, and that yeah. was just, like, so stressful. I'm like, uh, I just want to get there. But I, remember I, had, I, uh, fucking, I remember coming home. I came home from, I went out to San Francisco and I was coming home from, I did a wine tour in Sonoma and I was coming, bringing all these bottles back, these beautiful bottles. I tried all these wineries and I packed them so fucking tightly, wrapped them in t-shirts and shit. <laughs> and then when I got the bag back, the guys had just like whipped our fucking bags, of course, the check baggage. And you couldn't bring the full bottle of wine on the plane, obviously. So, and I was just like, I, I remember that's a smashed bottle oh. uh, ruined all, like all the clothing in there. And it was wrapped in like my favorite Wu-Tang t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Just ripped to shreds with glass. It's like, Oh, yeah. the worst. Yeah. So, uh, but that sounds like an amazing experience. So like, and then, then you did world-class as well. I 
did. Yeah, I, 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 I made it to the second round. So it was a semifinalist for world class. Yeah, that was kind of a very different competition. And it was very, very last minute that I decided to do it too. I was like, hell no, world class is so intimidating to me. Maybe next year. And and I had seen the posting and I was like, I'm not even going to look. Like, I don't even want to like look and see people like sending it to me. So I'm like, I'm not doing it. It's so intimidating. I, I just can't. And then like someone talked me into the, like, just fucking apply. Like, who cares? Just like get a concept together, read the rules and get your submission in there. And so I'm like, okay, what do I have to lose? So I had a week to come up with a concept and the rules are insane. Like there's just pages and pages and pages of rules that are like the cocktail you have to make is, is very simple can only have five ingredients. They all have to be ingredients that you can um, buy at the grocery store. You're not allowed to make anything in like infusions or syrup. So, so the, the um, recipe that you're creating has to stay quite simple. However, I found that quite puzzling in the same way because you just never really knew, can I do this? Can I do that? And the rules were, I, I honestly think they were like a little bit unclear. I had to like ask so many people, like, does it mean this? Or like, does a garnish count for an ingredient? You know, like, so it was a lot of like reading between the lines, but I think they do that for a reason. Mm. Um, however, the submission had to be a photo, a video and your recipe. And then I think a few essay questions as well. So with that competition, I ended up. Can, can I just stop okay. you right there? Actually, what the fuck? Like, why are we, why are we writing essays? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's bizarre to me. Like, I mean, yeah. I guess it's a way to weed people out. Like, when I you, because so, yeah. there's so many, like, I guess you're watching so many videos and looking at so many recipes, but it also seems a little like, so uh, I, yeah, a little much. Like, I don't know the exact word I'm looking for here, but it's like, really, we're we're making cocktails here. I don't yeah. know if we need a fucking yeah. essay about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it was all just like, you know, little like prompts, like what, who inspired you to enter world class? Like, what mm. are, I don't know, stuff like that. But still, like, had to be a certain amount of words, and you really had to like think very, very carefully about it and stuff, stuff like that. It was definitely a very thoughtful process to yeah. really not want to fuck it up because then you're just right. like stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so again, I got. I feel like I got quite lucky with my with like everything just coming together with for me within like my connection to my my idea of the cocktail and the reason behind why I chose the spirit that I did. So basically you have to choose a reserve spirit within Diageo's portfolio. Right. Just, I think it's just one and a half ounces or one full ounce of the reserve spirit and then anything else goes. And then you just have to create a video and it could have been as, as simple as just recording yourself making the cocktail and talking about it um, like with your iPhone. It didn't have to be anything special. Couldn't be longer than a minute and then yeah, photo. But obviously, the nerd that I am, I was like, I'm going all out. <laughs> I yeah, called yeah, up my videographer yeah. friend, and I'm like, we're making a sick video for this. Like, I'm not doing any amateur shit. So uh, I ended up choosing the cup of rum, uh, Guatemalan rum, and I think I maybe chose the spirit first for some reason. I wanted to do like a like a tropical style drink, and I was I think I was thinking of maybe connecting it to like a story from my travels or something like that. And then I remembered of this like I remembered this like incredible story that I have in my family of how my parents met basically, or how they, they solidified their relationship and ended up getting married. Um, they had this like beautiful trip to Guatemala planned and then they ended up breaking up. So the trip was called off. However, they both individually chose to go on this adventure to Guatemala regardless. And my dad 
caught word that my mom was traveling to Guatemala. So he ended up writing her this love letter and left it at a guest house in Guatemala for her to find. So this story's always been in my family. And I was like, oh, I was like, I got this. Like, I can just create a video about how they had this beautiful love story and tie it back into this Guatemalan rum because Guatemala is the place where my family truly began, you know? So I had like, yeah, (laughs) was this movie ever made with Meg Ryan? (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like did that actually happen i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) the guatemalan letter starring (laughs) (laughs) it all came together too i was like sick like a guatemalan rum i'm like this is so perfect so i ended up just creating this i guess like quite basic simple cocktails basically like a riff on a manhattan with this a cup of rum and i had this video filmed um kind of like filming like the love letter and I swear, like I still watch it and I get like tears in my eyes. Like it, it oh, ended up nice. coming, yeah. yeah, like it just ended yeah. up coming, coming together and my videographer just like nailed my vision. So yeah, I applied with that. And then what they do is they narrow it down to 30. I believe they did it a little different this year. I think in years past they do 15 um east and 15 west coast. And then from there you do a regional in-person competition. But this year they did top 30 Canada and we all did a um online regional um submission like via zoom we had to host a master class for the judges oh yeah so that, was on, so that was online which which was some would may, maybe would think that would be a lot easier but i thought that was just so much more difficult just being in front of like your screen and having the judges on zoom i much i much would have rather done it in person i think but yeah, I can see that. Like, there's something about talking over Zoom that's a little bit weird, right? Especially when you're pre- <laughs> when you're presenting something. Like, I know we're talking over Zoom right now, but this is more like conversational. Whereas, like, yeah. if you're trying to do a presentation over Zoom, it's like you feel disconnected from the audience, Absolutely. right? And you're yeah. not speaking at all because you're you're hosting a masterclass to these people who are are not partaking in your masterclass. It's all fake, right. you know. Yeah. So you're kind of like talking them through this masterclass, assuming they have all these tools set up in front of them, and they know yeah. they have like a conversation. And so it was it was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was difficult, but it was, I don't know. It was, yeah, I guess it it, it was difficult. (laughs) I did a content class over zoom during the pandemic and it was like the same thing. It was like, I I was doing it, but I'm like, I don't know if they're actually following along. You can't see what anyone else is doing. Right. Like, yeah, it's fucking weird. Uh, Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you said something earlier that I found interesting when you were talking about like that cocktail that you did for a world class and that you said you started with the spirit first for some reason. Do you find that you generally don't start with the spirit first? I think I usually like think of an idea first and then I would yeah. build my cocktail around the idea. But for some reason, I guess my idea was having some sort of tropical inspired drink. And so I could tie it into a story for my travel. So I guess I did have some sort of an idea and then like it clicked later on that I had this like story of my parents and mm. then that all came together. But yeah, I would, I would typically recipe second, like storyline mm. and idea and concept first. And then recipe kind of just is like, it's like almost the easier part. And so you've involved, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, Are you involved with the um, cocktail creation at the Raven Room now as well? Yeah. 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 So, So, and that's how you attack your cocktails for the listener as well? Like story first? Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. I didn't even think of, didn't even, yeah, I do that for basically all the cocktails I make. I'm just, or or I'll even like have the name first. Mm, Really? Yeah. Yeah, we do these really fun cocktail commercials at the Raven Room. Same videographer that filmed my world class oh. mission. He's a good friend of ours, and he we will basically like film a funny little video to promote a cocktail, just for fun, really. So we had a cocktail on our menu called Cuffing Season for the winter, 
And, <laughs> yeah. um, and like recipe doesn't matter. I can't even remember what was in it. It was a, it was a couple local spirits. We did ampersand gin, which is from Vancouver Island and honey, honey spiced Krupnik, uh, liqueur, which is like a honey liqueur also from Vancouver Island. So it was kind of like a, like a winter bramble type riff but yeah it was called cuffing season we had this really funny commercial filmed of one of our um servers was like at the bar with her girlfriends like just chatting and having a good time and then like zooms like kind of like looks over to this guy sitting at the bar who happens to be her boyfriend in real life and it kind of like zones in you know on like a video game when it's like you target like you target someone (laughs) so she's like zoning in on him and then just gets her handcuffs out and walks over to the bar and cuffs him and then like like skip to the next scene they're both on the couch like eating ice cream watching netflix and they're cuffed at their wrists and she's like can you pass me the remote so it's just like sequel for the summer and so i was like i gotta i gotta create a cocktail called hot girl summer now because the whole sequel of the the commercial right. is gonna be, she's gonna just <laughs> ditch her boyfriend take the cuffs off and like run off with her girls and start drinking the hot girl summer cocktail <laughs> That's so, a good idea. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good awesome. way to promote the bar. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And they're just fun little like 30 second videos. But so for, for that cocktail, I had the name first. I was like, I got to create a cocktail called Hot Girl Summer. And then you just kind of think of the ingredients based on that. So yeah, I do find that I have an idea first or a name first um, before choosing the, the spirit and ingredients accompanying it. But yeah. Well, uh, it's been super awesome talking to you, Danielle, like the, the crazy fun career. And like, I, you're super passionate about the cocktail creation, which is awesome. We always love to hear that on the show. So thanks so much for doing this. Tell our listeners where they can follow you and where they can follow the Raven Room. Yeah, I am um, at drinking with Danny on Instagram and the Raven Room is at the Raven Awesome. Well, thanks again, Danielle. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, especially with the time difference and stuff, I always like to thank people for the time difference. <laughs> it's like easy for us. We just show up at the same time every Monday. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thanks for time. <laughs>